Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Good Shabbos. Shabbos, everybody. I'd like you to, to hold on to yourselves here for a moment. <clears throat> hold on to yourselves here for a moment because of all the things to, to read Torah on this morning, of all the things that we could choose from a very full Parsha. The reading this morning for Open Up is on the plague of the firstborn, the tenth and final plague. So gird yourselves, because as, as sensitive, feeling humans, reading this under the best of circumstances would be challenging, frustrating, triggering so let me just have that as a qualifier triggering warning the firstborn of the Egyptians are about to die shouldn't come as a surprise we know it every year we have our pinkies full of wine to remember it from the Seder it's impossible though it's impossible for us to read this story without the context, the broader and larger context of w with, within it, which it falls, right? The ten plagues, the Aseret Hamakot, the Eser Makot. We've been exploring over the past three weeks the theme of resistance and the power of the resistance of Moshe to his calling, the power of the resistance of Pharaoh to the warnings, and the power of the resistance of the Israelites to be free. Everybody is resisting something in the book of Exodus. And certainly, it's not very far for us to apply the political implications and the very real-time way in which this story is unfolding in our current climate. Resistance of a powerful ruler to the warnings, a willingness to self-destructively continue along a path of resistance, even if it means destroying the entirety of his polity, the entirety of his people. So we've been exploring this, and certainly when we come to the, this Parsha, the 8th, ninth, and 10th plagues, the context of that, and finally the 10th plague, which we'll get to in two minutes, the context of those three particular plagues, and the powerful reach that they had, the locusts create... A darkness in Egypt. Darkness doesn't appear with the ninth plague. Darkness appears in the eighth plague, where there is so many locusts everywhere that there is darkness. It's as if the sun has been occulted by the locust. That's pretty bad. And yet Pharaoh is unrelenting. And the ninth plague, which we discussed last night, the plague of darkness, moral darkness, the, the, like, what is that plague? Three days, they can't see one another, they can't see... How do you break the unbreakable? How do you break the unbreakable? So for a moment here, and Rabbi Miriam, this morning, Rabbi Miriam Margols, explored this at the end. Now as we walk into the 10th plague let's acknowledge for a moment 
each and every one of us here, that we no longer glean, at least most of us, I'll speak for myself, but I'm going to get a couple of nods to the head. Most of us don't glean our theology, whom we think God is, from the Bible. Most of us. By and large, when we approach our text, our Torah, we play with frames. Sometimes when God's theology or God's presence accords with how we understand God, we go, oh yeah, I could just read it right out of the Torah. There it is. God loves the poor. God is on, right. God is telling us to leave corners of the field. I, I like that God. And God does all kinds of stuff that we think, oh, that's tribal. I'm not into that kind of God. And for a moment, when we see the 10th plague, we think, oh, no, that's not a God I could get on board with. No, no way. No how. Mm -mm. If I were God in that moment, right, if I were God, I would just, just, I don't know what I would do. I would just change everybody's heart. I would just free the Israelites myself. What was the big deal? I'm the ruler of the universe. Why do they have to agree with me? I mean, the, the list of questions when we begin to mix and match theology is really amazing. A God who, we don't want a God who intervenes in history unless that God intervenes in a way that we can, uh, then that's moral and then, mm. So if we were just to back up for a moment and ask ourselves a broader question, what is the Torah trying to teach us on the level of a more abstract allegorical message? Because certainly no Jewish people in my experience over the last 2,000 years ever took this part of the Bible and said, let me imitate God in this way by slaughtering firstborns. This was never taken by our people as, oh, just as God does that, so should I. We have no record of this becoming bad lessons. So what might be the greater moral invitation of hearing this story this morning. So one thing I'd like to float for you, and then I'll hear your moment. Wouldn't you want to know if you were a slave? Wouldn't you want to know if you yourself, as an Israelite, as the story tells us, had lost your firstborn, that what goes around comes around? Wouldn't you, as someone who read this story as a disempowered marginalized, oppressed, murdered people want to know that there's justice in the universe? Wouldn't you want to know that there are karmic consequences to actions and behaviors? Wouldn't you want to know a lesson like that? Maybe another lesson. Wouldn't you want the Torah to teach us that crazy oligarchical, dictatorial, infantile leaders who are fearful and who use power to oppress others don't change until they themselves suffer? During the previous nine plagues, nothing has changed Pharaoh's heart. It doesn't matter how bad it gets for those people out there, Pharaoh's not changing. And if Pharaoh doesn't change, then nothing changes. Until Pharaoh knows suffering in his own home, until Pharaoh knows what it is to be so closed, to be so in 
pervious and non-porous to anything getting in, until he has hit rock bottom, he will not let go. And by the way, we know this, he doesn't even let go when he's hit rock bottom. Even though he feigns love for his daughter, his son-in-law, even though he feigns love for those who are in his inner circle, even their death doesn't matter ultimately because really it's about me. And if we were to for a moment stop after that second invitation to reading the story and say, now for a moment do the craziest thing, the thing that the radical Hasidic masters living in the 18th century said to do, and to imagine how we too are Pharaoh, then it gets really intense. What will you need to lose before you will let go? What do you need to lose? What needs to be taken from you before you say, here, go, have it? What needs to be opened? What fist is held clenched like this that nothing in the world can open until, as we read last week, the beautiful poem from Mark Nepo, until in a fistful moment of rage, a trickle of blood from your own knife drawn reminds you of your vulnerability and of your need to open. And in our tradition, where we went with this was, where do I need to hear God saying, if you don't surrender, you will lose everything. And so the verses, if you look with me for a moment now, and then I'll open this up, the open up is open up, so I'll open it up. But look on page 387. And it was in the splitting of the night, midnight. And it was in the midnight hour that God struck Makkah, every firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, to the Bechor of the Shavia Sherbevet Habor, right down to the captive who was in the dungeon, and even the firstborn of the animals, Vayakam Paro Laila, and Pharaoh awakens night. Hu Vichol Avada, Vichol Mitzrayim, him and his servants, and all of Egypt, the heat Sa'akag Dolabi Mitzrayim, and there was a great Sa'aka. There was no house in which there was not death or someone dead. Third instance of the word Laila, darkness, night. Get up. Leave. You, all of Israel, everyone, leave as you have asked. Take your sheep, take your cattle. Go as you have spoken, second instance of that word, and leave, valechu, walk. And then this coda, uberachtem gam oti, this strange addition 
where Pharaoh says, and please bless me too. Everything in this tight reading, these three, four verses, is is built around previous words that were words of the slaves. Where was the previous great calling out? Vatitzaku, B'nei Yisrael, Minavodah, the great calling out of the Israelites against the great calling out of the Egyptians. Everybody loses. Everybody. Take them. And then verse 32, when Pharaoh is saying, Rashi says that Pharaoh says, since I am a firstborn, I'm also supposed to die. So don't, so please let it stop with that. I, save me at least, Pharaoh says, according to Rashi. And so here the question, and here I'm going to open it up, is this great tsaka, this great heartbreak, this great brokenness, Where does that come up for you? Forget the Egyptians. Forget the Torah for a minute right now. The Torah is not on trial every Shabbat. The Torah is here to invite us into a reflection upon ourselves and our current realities and where we meet Torah and the reality. And so here the question is, where in our lives, where in your life, where in the society at large, choose your sphere? Is something so profoundly being lost that there is a great cry? And where could that cry be avoided? Where could that cry be avoided were we to do something? So if you could identify that in your life or in society or something, whatever it is, and then offer me the solution. Offer us a solution. What would be the way out? Where are we not hearing? I'll start us off. We are not hearing the cry of our mother, the earth. She is screaming. We have said, we have hit rock bottom over and over again. Everyone and everything is saying to us, will you let go of your greed? Will you let go of your fossil fuels? Will you let go of your rampant materialism and consumerism for the sake of the planet? Because the planet will be taken from you, the firstborn known as the planet. You going with me here, allegorically? The firstborn, this gift that we are giving you is screaming. Every house will be affected. Every society, everywhere. It's not just, right? It'll begin with, with the marginalized people who are in places that are unprotected, but it'll reach you too. You who think you are safe in your urban settings, you will feel its pinch soon. So would that we could hear that early enough before that cry becomes so great that there's no return. Who wants to go next? For you, but I want, can I just want to, not everybody heard you because you're not mic'd, but I, if I could just extract some little piece of it and add, if you, can I do that? So, so relationship with parents or siblings or anyone in our family, you know, it, we all know warnings that were unheeded before it was too late. 
And I, as a rabbi, I can say, and others know this too, I, there, there's no shortage of people that I've sat with after it was too late to reconcile. Where there was a tzakagidola, there was a great and horrific cry that said, wow, why didn't I realize it would come to this, that I would be already at this point and not be able to turn around and make it better. Some obstinance, something that we refuse until we see that it's too late. Rabbi Koloresis. Again and again, over and over again, there is a social ill. There's an unwillingness of legislators and politicians to, to simply recognize that with more guns comes more violence, with more guns come more suicides, more murders, more, right? No doubt about it. And when will we learn and hear that already existing cry? Those are our firstborn. We hear it over and over again, right? Even after Sandy Hook. When will we let go of our fetish with guns? When will we redo the Second Amendment? But that's okay. No, really. When will we write the Second Amendment? Yeah, Lou. Thank you, Lou. I took a lot of courage. Thank you for that. So you're lifting up the blessing that, as if he was saying, Moshe, bless me that I become an empathetic individual. Right? Bless this Pharaoh, this hardened heart Pharaoh. I want to ask a question for open up. Why is the text so deliberately using the word night? Why is night such an important part of this plague? Right? Everything happens at night, and then we're told that Pharaoh wakes up night, calls to Moshe and Aaron at night. Is it just a narrative ploy just to keep things moving? It was so urgent that it was in the middle of the night. What, what's the night part? Feel free not to talk about that too, but I just want to open it up. Yeah. 
Uh, so we're back to a moral blindness. Again, it's night. It's just another way of saying it was nighttime. It was dark. Moral blindness. Okay. Yeah. So there's a vulnerability at night, and this is, Pharaoh is finally vulnerable in some way. So this is, you know, he's actually experienced loss in a profound way, uh, and it's night on every level. It's night. It's, vulner it's openness. It's vulnerability. Yeah. Jeremy. So there's an immediate result. This was so profoundly impactful that, that, that it had to happen quickly. And it, and it showed that there was no deliberation. There was fear, perhaps. There was conviction. It also shows also that a certain impulsivity, right? It was so extreme, but also it could also be taken back quickly, which it does wind up being taken back. Yanashama. It made you think of dreams. So it's a nightmare. So the, the nightmare began with the planet, the nightmare place. Could it be changed and taken back? Mm. Wake up and recognize mm. and mm. acknowledge the nightmare. Right. That Pharaoh wakes up. Yes. It's like that Pharaoh wakes up. Like there's something about Pharaoh's awakening here. Right? It was as night was split. Right? Chatzia means to split the night. Literally means midnight, the middle of the night. In the middle of the night, in the middle of his own unconsciousness, of his own craziness, his own obsession, his own addiction, his own narcissism, his own egocentrism, he wakes up and gets it. Finally, that's what it took for him to wake up. Anyone who hasn't yet spoken? Yes. So, um, the very beginning of the Torah, God's first words are, let there be light. Mm. So just to, to play off of that, it's, it's, actually, it's actually not that difficult to find sources who look at the ten plagues as an unraveling of the creation story in chapter one of the book of Genesis. Like each moment of the plagues is connected to some creation narrative where destruction unravels creation. The first creation in creation, as it were, was maybe darkness, maybe light. So there's light and darkness work as motifs here and it, in some way saying that the final stage of, of undoing the world is the removal of light and that it's, it needs to come back. And here in the 10th plague, the, the final undoing of creation is the loss of vitality in life itself. Right? When loss of life becomes right, what is next, then you know that the world as it were, the purpose of the world is now on some level being undone. It's very extreme. Right. Whoever wrote this wanted us to be bothered by it, be buoyed by it, be troubled, and also um, to use it as a catalyst for some kind of awakening of our own around us. Take a couple more points. Anybody has something they wanted to share? It was on your heart, mind. Yes, Avi, who's going to be reading it for us. Yeah.
So nighttime is a time for learning, acknowledging, admitting. It's kind of a, a nighttime of self-reflection, Yom Kippur. And here, in some way, the, the main character of the story who needs to do, to come face to face with certain truths, finally, has that awareness in the nighttime of truth telling, of truth listening, of truth exposure, truth revelation. So I'm going to come in for a landing and, and call people up, the open up. This is a difficult, obviously a very difficult piece. Um, there's ambivalence within the rabbis on, as to whether or not God is the one who is involved in the plague or God and his own Beit Din, his house of judgment, whatever it might be. It's, it's, it's painful, but it's also... It's a blessing, and here's, how, here's the blessing I'd like to offer. The blessing for this morning is that we, individually, collectively, and if you feel called, you'll know, might wake up before the great cry. Before the great cry of that which is most precious, most important to us, that which is so deeply a part of who we are, that we might wake up before that great cry, before the great broken heart, before that, and do something. That's one. The second one is we want to read this as it's already happened, that we might be ones who, um, who acknowledge at this moment that there are precious things that are being lost as we speak because of rulers, individuals, systems that are murdering because of their passivity, because of their inertness. And I'd like to stand for the blessing to, to release or help release or help name that so that it might be released. That's how I'm working with maybe the hardest aliyah that anyone ever gave me, besides the Akedah. So if that speaks to you this morning and you would like to stand with Torah for these words, knowing again that I could have easily given you a counter-narrative and said to you, come and stand with Torah and protest the 10th plague. We've done that here before. We're not doing it here this year. Here we're working with it. We're working with it, softening it, rendering it, marinating it in our own interpretive, um, our own interpretive power, our own interpretive juices. Please come forward to stand this morning with those intentions and any other one that might be for you for the first Aliyah.